We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, Daniel, what's your favorite part of living in California? Oh, that's easy. Is it the frozen yogurt? The celebrity sightings? Every time you look in the mirror? <laughs> that's all great stuff. But no, it's the sunshine. Huh. The sunshine makes you happy? Yeah, I've spent enough time in cold and dark places to appreciate when I moved here how happy the sunshine makes me. Mmm. Are you saying photons are like little bundles of joy? <laughs> yes, they are. They're like little quantized packets of happiness. That's my quantum happiness theory. I'm not so sure about your theory. Does that mean that every time you put on sunscreen, you're blocking out happiness? <laughs> yeah, or maybe nobody can be happy at night. I guess maybe I should stick to physics. I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist. And even though photons make me more massive, I do appreciate them. <laughs> I thought they made you more light. <laughs> that too. And nicely tanned. And, and, and sunburned, yes. <laughs> and a little red. Happy red and light. 
And massive. And massive, exactly. It's a little appreciated that every time you're heated up by the sun, you also get a tiny bit heavier. Yeah, because light has energy. That's right. And mass is reflection of energy. So as you get hotter, you get heavier. That's a massive revelation. That's right. You want to get hot, just soak up the rays. But welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we make light of the heaviest things in the universe, the deepest questions, the craziest concepts, the biggest mysteries in the universe. We ask questions about the very beginning of time, the nature of time, how time will end, how this entire bonkers universe comes together and makes sense, or whether it does. We like to think about anything and everything out there in the universe because our goal is to take the entire universe, slice it up into quantities quantized packets of understanding and shoot them at you. Yeah, because it is a massive universe full of interesting and cool phenomena that we'd like to illuminate you on so that you can share it with the rest of the universe. And it's amazing to me sometimes that it just sort of works. Like there are laws of physics out there apparently describing and defining what's supposed to happen in the universe. And it just sort of seems plugging along. Nothing ever like breaks down. You're surprised the universe works. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's it going to do? Not work? <laughs> well, no program that I've ever written has ever worked the first time. But, you know, hey, the universe... There's no bugs to report so far. Right, right. Maybe you should stick to physics, not programming. <laughs> I should stay away from universe design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thankfully, you weren't in charge of programming the universe. Whoever did it did an incredible job because it seems so remarkably self-consistent. You know, every time we discover something we think doesn't make sense, we can always in the end find an explanation for it. A parsimonious and beautiful description of the underlying mathematics. So it's fascinating to me that there are these mathematical stories that underpin the universe and are understandable by our tiny human brains. Mm, maybe we're not the first version of the universe. Like maybe we're, you know, universe 3.0 or universe leopard or <laughs> universe, you know, NT or Vista. I see. So that suggests there are future improved versions of the universe to come, right? What are those going to feature? You know, like more taco trucks in every corner? We have to wait for the update. <laughs> and of course, it's going to come at the worst time. You're like on a deadline and suddenly the universe is going to be like, hold, please, while we update your universe. How big is that update? 10 to the 90 bytes or something like that. <laughs> Might be waiting for a while, looking at that little hourglass turning and turning. But yeah, it is a pretty wonderful universe full of uh, interesting things to discover and full of questions to ask about it and full of interesting answers to get from those questions that illuminate us to how everything works. Yeah, and part of the process of physics is taking our understanding, the way we think the universe works, and asking questions about it and wondering like, hmm, does this make sense? I think that this should happen. Why does that happen instead? That's the process of doing physics. That's what we do on this show is to try to apply our knowledge of physics to the crazy bonkers universe that's out there. And that's what we'd love to encourage in our listeners to take your understanding of physics and look at the universe around you and wonder, do I understand how this all fits together. Yeah, because it's not just physicists and working scientists who ask questions. Everybody has questions. Everyone from little kids to the old and, and retired, we all have questions about the universe because we all look around and we think, boy, why is it like that? Or how does that work? Or how can we ever understand what's going on? Yeah, curiosity belongs to everyone. I used to have a pretty common experience back when I was flying on airplanes that I'd sit next to somebody and they'd say, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a physicist. And they'd say, oh, I hated that in high school. And then there'd be an awkward silence. And a couple of minutes later, they'd say, hey, can you explain to me how the Big Bang works or something like that? There was always some sort of physics question that bubbled up inside them because it's not just academic physicists who want to understand the universe. It's a human 
thing everybody wants to know how this crazy universe works. Yeah, well, that's what you get for talking to strangers, Daniel. <laughs> that's why I stopped flying. It wasn't COVID, it was just that. <laughs> that's right, right. Or just tell them you're an astrologer. That'll really get them interested. <laughs> or turned off, which works out either way. Oh, they might have even more questions in that case. But then I can just make up the answers and it's all kosher, right? There are no rules right, in astrology. It's all true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can just predict the future. But yeah, we love questions. We like to celebrate questions. And sometimes we even like to answer questions. So on this podcast, we like to sometimes take good questions we get from listeners through Twitter or through email and questions we definitely get. Right, Daniel? Oh, we certainly do. And we love them. So if you are thinking about the universe and there's something that doesn't quite sit right with you or you've heard us explain something but doesn't mesh with something else you understand or some scenario where you don't understand how it works, write to us to questions at danielandjorge.com or engage with us on Twitter at danielandjorge and we're even on Discord so you can come and discuss and chat with other listeners about crazy things you heard on the episodes. Yeah, and we even accept noobs on Discord, right? And pro gamers. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm kind of a Discord noob. I had to have my 14-year-old show me how it works. Wow, all right. Welcome to the internet. <laughs> but yeah, so today on the podcast, we'll be tackling... Listener questions number 23. This is our 23rd episode in which we answer, or at least we try to answer questions from listeners. These are real questions that people send in. These are, if you write us a question, you will definitely get an answer. And if you write us a super interesting question that I think other listeners might want to hear the answer to, then I'll ask you to send us an audio recording so your voice can be heard on the pod and so we can all discuss your fascinating question. Oh man, now you make it sound like it's a contest. <laughs> people are going to try extra hard to send you interesting questions now. That sounds great. I don't know if these people have won or lost though, you know, <laughs> featured on the podcast. <laughs> Is that a prize or a punishment? <laughs> interesting. Well, at least they'll be podcast famous. Just like we are. Yeah, they can cash that in for retirement, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, for um, little photons of joy. <laughs> but yeah, we like to answer questions. And today we have three pretty interesting questions from listeners, both young and old. And they have to do with Earth's orbit, about the uh, growing sun, and also about alien technology. Now, we're, we're not just talking about the new iPhone, are we? We're talking about the whole universe, which apparently you think is some sort of technology, some sort of software. <laughs> yeah. As long as it wasn't made by Windows. <laughs> well, basically, physics is trying to reverse engineer the universe, right? So we're trying to unravel the rules by which it works. Wait, are you saying that physicists are actually engineers? <laughs> like at, at, the, at, at their core? We're all engineers in our hearts, in our hearts. <laughs> or are you saying they're reverse engineers? They're like the anti-engineers. There you go. You collide a physicist and an engineer, boom, you get comedy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Engineers are trying to make things better. Physicists are doing the reverse. <laughs> There's always got to be balance to the universe, man. There's always a dark side. Haven't you watched enough science fiction to know that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought Star Wars was fantasy. There's no dragons in it, so I don't know. But yeah, so let's jump right into these questions. These are all pretty interesting questions. And the first question we have is from Scott, who has a question about the Earth's orbit. Hello, my name is Scott, and I'm writing to you from Spokane, Washington. I love the show, and please keep up the great work. My question to you is in regards to solar sails. I understand the very basic theory of a solar sail. Photons bounce off of a surface and impart momentum to the object. Planets around a star are bombarded with photons and all the other junk a star shoots at them all the time. Planets have a fairly large surface area to absorb all that energy. Why are planets not pushed away from stars? Thank you for your time and have a great day. All right. Thank you, Scott. Speaking of uh, not having sunshine, he's from Spokane, Washington, where 
I think it rains like 11 months a year, right? I think he's wishing there was more solar radiation pushing against the Earth. Maybe that's why, why he was thinking about sunshine. Yeah, well, he has a fascinating question about why the Earth is not blown out of the solar system by all of that solar radiation. Mm, yeah, because we've had episodes about solar sails, and it turns out you could sort of surf the solar wind out there if you have a big enough sail. The sunshine from the sun will actually push you, and it could maybe push a spaceship out of the solar system. That's right. And these solar sails are an analogy to the kinds of sails you find on a sailboat. There's not literal wind in space the same way we have wind here on Earth. We have streams of air molecules, but there are particles moving through space that we can call wind. The solar wind is a stream of protons and electrons and other kinds of radiation that the sun is pumping out. And so you can capture that energy and grab its momentum and use it to accelerate a very small, lightweight spacecraft that can get going really kind of shockingly fast. Mm, yeah, because there's a lot of stuff coming out of the sun. And if you catch it, you could ride it out of the solar system. But I guess Scott's question is like, you know, the Earth is pretty big. So it's almost like a giant sail and it's catching all this, you know, stuff from the sun, why doesn't that push the Earth out of orbit? It's a great question. And the sun is pushing on the Earth. He's totally right. The Earth is like a big solar sail, and the sun's radiation doesn't just heat it up, it also pushes on it. And so I had to do a little bit of a calculation to figure out, like, how big an effect is that? Turns out the sun puts out about a thousand watts per meter squared. That's like how much energy is deposited on a square meter of Earth by the sun. Mm, that's a lot. That's like a, you know, a couple hundred light bulbs. It's not a tiny amount. So when I got that number, I thought, uh oh, we might be in trouble. <laughs> you know, I felt like if I got the wrong answer, I might blow the Earth out of orbit. <laughs> <laughs> or you maybe figured out that Scott had uncovered some kind of deep secret that nobody had thought about. Well, that's the really fun thing about these questions is like, well, you know, the Earth is in orbit. You just have to understand, like, why it works. Clearly, the universe is functioning. Somehow the Earth is staying in its orbit. But the name of the game in physics is to understand how all these mechanisms work together to explain that. So I love this kind of question because here Scott is saying, like, you explain Explain this to me. How does that mesh with what I already know over there? Mm, right, because, um, you know, so far we're still in orbit around the sun, as far as I know. We haven't been blown out of the solar system. And so I guess the question is, why is that? You know, like, why doesn't all that sunlight pushes out? Yeah, because the Earth is pretty big, right? The Earth has 10 to the 14 meter square of area. So if you take the Earth and you sort of look at its image from the sun, it would look like a disk. And you can ask, how big is that disk? And, you know, 10 to the 14 meters squared is a big number. 10 to the 12 is a trillion. 10 to the 15 is a quadrillion. So we're talking about like 100 trillion square meters of area times 1,000 watts per square meters. So how much uh, wattage is that? So that's like 10 to the 17 watts, which is an enormous amount of energy, right? But, you know, the Earth is pretty massive. And so it takes a lot of energy to have sort of any real impact on the Earth. Mm. Well, how does that translate into force? Like what's the overall force of all that sunlight. There's one more step involved in figuring that out because watts is energy per second. But we do know the energy of photons that hit the Earth since we know their wavelength, they're in the visible light. So we can convert that to the number of photons per second, which is about 
10 to the 35 photons per second. That's a huge number. And each one has a certain amount of momentum. And since force is basically a change in momentum, we can get the total force. So the effective force of all that sunlight is 1 billion newtons, right? And so for example, the force on you is 9.8 times your mass in kilograms. So like the force of the earth on a one kilogram object is about 10 newtons. So this is a billion newtons, which is not a trivial amount of force. Right. It's also not a phrase you hear every day, a billion newtons. I don't think I've ever in my in my 45 years of life, I've heard that those two words said at the, in the, at the same phrase. It makes me think of that whole like infinite monkeys room, you know, typing out Hamlet. If you had a billion Isaac Newtons in a room, how many different theories of physics could you come up with? <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as they stop monkeying around, they can probably solve the secrets of the universe. And so a billion Newtons sounds like a big force, but it's actually pretty small compared to the other forces on the Earth. Like the force of the moon on the Earth, you know, the thing that gives us tides and stuff like that, that's 10 to the 20 Newtons. So mm. it's like more than 10 to the 10 times bigger than the force of the Earth as a solar sail. Wow. So it's like maybe like a, a trillionth or a half a trillionth of, of the amount of force it, it gets from the moon. Mm -hmm. And the force of the sun on the Earth from its gravity is 10 to the 23 Newtons. So it's like almost a quadrillionth of the force of gravity from the sun. So the sun is pulling on us with gravity, and that's an attractive force. And it's also very gently pushing on us about one quadrillionth of the force of its gravity is repulsive because of the solar radiation and the solar sail effect. So we are getting pushed by the sun, but it's a really tiny amount compared to, you know, all of the forces and the mass of the earth that, that are going on. Mm -hmm. So it's almost negligible. But, you know, you can never really discount stuff in astronomy because the earth has been going around the sun for billions of years. And so even a very small change in the force of gravity would have an impact on the Earth's orbit eventually, right? And so the real answer to Scott's question doesn't actually depend on how strong this force is. The force from the solar sail could be really, really huge. The real answer is that it's already accounted for in the Earth's orbit. So the effect of a solar sail basically reduces the strength of the sun's gravity and changes where the Earth can orbit. So the Earth's orbit already accounts for the fact that the sun is gently pushing on it as well as very strongly pulling on it. Mm, interesting. Like it, it's there. It's a quadrillionth of the force from the sun, but it's there still, right? Like it does affect the Earth's orbit and it is part of kind of what holds it in balance. Exactly. If you, for example, turned off this solar sail effect somehow because you were master of the universe, then the Earth wouldn't be in the right orbit anymore. Right? Gravity would get a tiny little bit stronger and eventually the Earth would spiral into the sun because the Earth doesn't have enough velocity to be in this orbit if gravity is stronger. So the Earth is in just the right place, has just the right orbit, the direction, the velocity for all of these forces to keep it in a stable place. Wow. It makes you realize just how precarious our orbit is, right? Like if you added a quadrillionth uh, of the mass of the sun to the sun, then we would spiral in. Or if you took out that much, we would spiral out. Yeah, although it's not an accident that we're here, right? We're here because a chunk of stuff found itself in a stable orbit. So it's sort of like a selection effect. All those pre-planetary blobs that ended up falling into the sun, no life evolved on them to ask questions of podcast hosts. Right. Well, uh, technically it is an accident, we're, <laughs> but we're just the lucky ones that survive. Yes, it is an accident. And it's also a really cool idea to think about other things in the solar system because it's a useful way to very gently nudge objects. If you, for example, discover an asteroid that's going to hit 
the earth in, you know, like a thousand years or a hundred years, you could change its orbit slightly by like painting it with really bright white paint. So that reflected the sun more dramatically and would tweak its orbit a tiny bit. Interesting. You could maybe spray paint it with gold or something, you know, why not, right? Go a little fancy. It'll be more reflective. Yeah. In fact, I was reading a paper this morning that just came out. They calculated that an asteroid that's like a Tunguska class, you know, like one of these really massive ones, like 50 meters in diameter. If you covered it with like one micron of lithium or sodium metal, which is very reflective over its surface, you could change where it would hit on the Earth by a thousand kilometers for every hundred years of its orbit. So if you wanted it to miss the Earth, you'd have to like spot it a couple hundred years in advance, send out a spacecraft to like paint it, you know, like spray paint it with metal or something. And then you could basically save humanity. Wow. So graffiti could save the human race. Like Banksy could be like the ultimate hero in the, the next Armageddon movie. Yeah, exactly. Who needs Bruce Willis? Now we need Banksy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a pretty interesting question. My question now is like when physicists model the solar system, you do predictions about orbits, do you take into account the solar wind? Or do you just say, oh, it's like a trillionth of the effect. We're, we're going to ignore it. It really depends on the question you're asking. And that's sort of the cool thing about physics is that when we ask questions, we're always using some approximate description of the universe. We're never including every tiny detail because it'd be impossible. So when you do physics, a big part of the work is figuring out what to include and what to neglect. You know, we might also, for example, include the gravitational effect of Andromeda when you're calculating where your baseball is going to go. But obviously you can ignore it. So this is the kind of thing that's really, really small. And so if you're asking questions about what's going to happen in the next hundred years or a thousand years, you can ignore this stuff. If you have questions about the very long term stability of the solar system, then you might need to take it into account. Interesting. Yeah. You might need to shed some sunlight into your calculations. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, Scott's question. Why is Earth not pushed out of orbit by the sun's light? The answer is that the sun's light does push on the Earth. It is uh, an effect, but it's pretty insignificant compared to all of the other forces that are going on. And it's already accounted for in determining our orbit. So even if it was like half the strength of gravity, the Earth would be in a place appropriate to that balanced force. Yeah, I think you mean like the orbit we're in is also due in part to because of that sunlight. All right, let's get into our two other questions. One about alien technology and the other one about the growing sun. But first, let's take a quick break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right, it's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusion supply. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place 
full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities, but it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You know that feeling after you've done a deep spring clean of your house when you realize, wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like how you feel when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, while Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording all this? So it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Personally, I've used Mint Mobile, and the calls are always so crisp and so clear. All of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So it's time to ditch your overpriced wireless and go with Mint Mobile's limited time deal for three months a premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Slower speeds above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, we are answering listener questions, trying to give our best answers. Um, Daniel, I was thinking, philosophically speaking, can you have an answer without a question? And if we didn't have questions, will we have answers? I don't know what it would mean to have an answer without a question. It's like, a, you know, if no tree falls in the woods, does it make a noise anyway? So if a physicist asks a question in the, in the forest and, <laughs> and, and doesn't have any equipment to measure the experiment with, do they really learn anything? Yeah, I think, you know, the beautiful thing about answers is that they come from questions and they are matched with that question. They're defined by that question. And so I think you got to have questions in order to have answers. Mm. And without answers, we wouldn't, I guess, know things about the universe, right? Yeah, it's sort of part of the way our mind works. You know, we don't just have questions and answers. We have stories that we tell ourselves. We describe the universe in terms of cause and effect. And this happens because of that. It reveals a lot about the way the universe works, but it also might reveal a lot about the way our mind work, which is why it'd be super fascinating to learn about, you know, alien science to see if what they've learned about the universe is similar, which suggests that maybe we've learned something universal or whether their stories about the universe are completely different or if, if they even think in terms of stories, which might tell us that everything we've learned about the universe is really just very human. Mm, yeah. And what's a good story without a good question in it? And so that happens to be our next question. This one is from Craig and he has a question about 
alien technology. Hey, Daniel and Jorge, this is Craig York from Dallas, Texas. I have a fun, mind-bending question for you guys, which you guys will absolutely thrive off of. Well, I hope so. Anyway, here we go. If scientists found three functional alien anti-gravity guns, what process would they use to understand the physics and technology underlying that gun? Basically, how would they reverse engineer it? Okay, as of right now, you are officially in charge of the project. I give you all the greatest scientists on Earth and a $500 billion budget. How would you pull it off? Which leads to the big kahuna question. If we got our best physicists together with alien physicists, could our physicists even grok or understand their super advanced science or technology? And this is assuming they were super patient, like nurturing aliens and empathetically, carefully walked us through the concepts. And I appreciate your time um, for this podcast. Every episode opens an entire universe for me, both from a physics as well as from a philosophical perspective. So thank you guys very much. All right. Awesome question, Craig. And I feel like Craig could use his own podcast. Like that question was totally entertaining in itself. (laughs) I got questions for Craig. Oh, my gosh. Pretty cool uh, question, and apparently it comes with resources. So he's giving us a billion dollars to answer this question. Well, yeah, maybe you can have a billion. I heard him say five hundred billion, so that's four ninety nine billion for the physicists and one billion for the engineers. <laughs> <laughs> for me, but then you also have to build stuff to to uh, make it work, right? Exactly. It's a super fun question. You know, imagining if a piece of alien technology like fell out of the sky, landed here, how could we figure out how it works? How could we reverse engineer to learn some physics from an existing working piece of technology? Yeah, yeah. And I I feel like Craig was very specific. Like he didn't just want us to talk about how to reverse engineer technology, but he had a very specific example. Like what if we found three anti-gravity guns and then how would we figure out how those work? Yeah, and that's a really cool target because anti-gravity is something we would love to see. We would love to understand. We don't even know if it's possible. You know, currently our understanding of how gravity works is that you have massive objects which change the way space is bent and that's bending of space that affects how masses move. But anti-gravity is something completely different. Something repulsive gravity is not something we have seen, except in very special cases, maybe dark energy might be repulsive gravity. So a demonstration of repulsive gravity would already revolutionize and reorient all of our physics research. You know, just like knowing that something is possible is a huge benefit, is a huge clue when you're doing research. Mm. Well, I guess I have a question for Craig, which is like, what is an anti-gravity gun? Like, (laughs) you know, what does it do? Does it shoot anti-gravity? Does it make the thing you shoot it at, you know, not have gravity? Or what what does that mean? What is it? What do you think this gun does? I'm imagining you pointed at something and then gravity basically just can't affect that thing. So, for example, you pointed at the Empire State Building and then any little kid can come by and just like pick up the building because it basically weighs nothing. I see. Like you you think you shoot it once or do you have to keep the trigger on? You know, is it like a ray or is it like an like a burst? (laughs) Man, it sounds like you want to read the manual for this alien tech. (laughs) Well, if we're going to reverse engineer it, I got to know how it works, right? Yeah. So I guess according to Jorge, first step is like play with a gun, see what it can do. Figure out what these rules are, right? Point (laughs) it at a bunch of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If someone gives you an anti-gravity gun to reverse engineer, you're not just going to like start to take it apart. You got to see what it does first, right? I guess that's what I would do as an engineer. See what it does, right? Right. But in a realistic scenario, you know, like an alien ship crash lands and the aliens are dead and all we have is their technology. We don't know that this thing is an anti-gravity gun because nobody's told us. The aliens haven't been like, Merry Christmas, here's an anti-gravity gun, figure it out. We just have some piece of technology. Now you're telling me Jorge's just going to start like mashing buttons and pointing at things to see what it does? 
does, like, I want to get pretty far away. Mm, I see, I see. You're saying, like, what if we just found this thing and didn't know it was an anti-gravity gun? Yeah, what would you do? Like, what if this thing is like a black hole machine or creates warp bubbles? Yeah, an alien piece of technology, there's effectively no limits on what it could potentially be. Mm, well, I guess then th that's a different question, right? You're not trying to reverse engineer it. You're just trying to figure out what it does. <laughs> You're trying to, like, reverse use it. Yeah, because it could be, for example, something that opens up a wormhole to the center of the sun. And then all of a sudden you have like a stream of plasma shooting out. Like, so it could be pretty dangerous. But if you do already somehow know what it is and know what it can do, maybe Craig's question is about like, how would you figure out the physics of it? How would you detect the mechanism on which it's based? Yeah, I, I think that's more of his question. Like if you knew what it does and specifically this idea of anti-gravity, how would you know how it works? So I'm assuming the, the aliens label all of their weapons or <laughs> tools. Yeah, in which case I hope they also label the insides of it. So they tell us like, oh, here's the graviton generator and here's the graviton tuner and here's the graviton lens. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess, first of all, I hope they brought a dictionary <laughs> so we can read these labels. It would be on one hand a tremendous clue, right, to know that this is possible. So now we can sort of try to extend our theories of physics to accommodate it. On the other hand, it would still be tremendously confusing because you don't necessarily know anything about how it works. And this technology could rely on physics, which could be, you know, hundreds or thousands or millions of years ahead of ours. And so it would be quite difficult. You know, imagine, for example, dropping a laptop in Galileo's time. Would he be able to reverse engineer it and understand all of the physics that are inherent inside of it? You know, semiconductor technology and quantum mechanics. Could he reverse engineer all of that from a, a laptop? It would be totally impossible. That's basically the situation we're in. Yeah, especially if you don't give him the password. I mean, <laughs> you don't give him the password, he's stuck in the welcome screen and he wouldn't even know what this thing does. He'd type, you know, password in, in Italian and that's like, he's not going to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's going to lock him out. He's going to have to call the genius bar and that'll take a few hundred years. Forget it. So, you know, practically speaking, joking aside, I think it might be impossible unless we're very, very lucky to figure out how it works, like the underlying physical principles. Unless it's like a direct step forward from what we are doing already, then I think it might be impossible. And that's sort of what he was laying out. Like maybe it uses gravitons, which is a theoretical idea about how gravity might be married with quantum mechanics. If in fact this thing is like an intense source of gravitons, then we might be able to detect that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think we were on the right track before when we said that the first thing that you would do to reverse engineer this is to see how it works. Like you would, you know, sort of treat the object as a thing, not try to get into its inside or to see what the insides do or how it's put together, but just to sort of understand it as a black box. Like if I do this to the black box, what does the black box do? What can it do? You know, like what kind of signals can you read off of this black box? Does it suck in energy? Does it output energy? I think that would be a first step, wouldn't it? At least as an engineer, that's that's what would make sense. Sure, but aren't all engineers famous for taking things apart? You know, didn't you take toasters apart as a kid? Are you not going to be tempted to take apart this alien gun and <laughs> see what's going on inside of it? No, I think that would be step two, I think. Okay. You know? Like I think step one, you know, when you get a new toaster, when an engineer gets a new toaster oven, we don't just like, 
hey, a new toaster oven is taken apart. We're like, oh, what can this toaster do? Let's press this button. Let's press that button. Let's put in three slices of bread and see if it explodes. Yeah, so we could try to do that. And, you know, gravitons are something that we are looking for. We could, for example, try to see if this thing is emitting quantum gravity particles. But gravitons are very, very difficult to see if they even do exist. And the reason is that gravity itself is really, really weak. And so gravity as a force is, you know, the weakest force among all of them. It's much weaker than electricity and magnetism or the strong force or the weak nuclear force. And that's important because it means that gravitons, which if they exist, would be like the basic building block of the force of gravity, are also super duper 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 faint. So even if you had something that generated gravitons, it'd be difficult to pick up individual gravitons. It might not be hard to see like quadrillion gravitons altogether, but to understand that they are gravitons is tricky. We see like the power of the sun's gravity all the time. If those are gravitons, then there's just like, you know, quadrillions of gravitons all the time. To discover gravitons, you have to see them sort of like separated, individually quantized. And that's tricky, even if you have a gun that can create them. Mm. Well, I think the hard part is that gravitons are the particles that supposedly transmit gravity, right? The force of gravity, right? So this gun probably wouldn't shoot gravitons, right? Would it? Like shooting graviton would just mean that you're pushing or you're attracting it. According to our understanding, this anti-gravity gun is totally impossible. You're right. Even if you shoot gravitons, if we build a gun that shot gravitons, it would not accomplish anti-gravity. So, but there might be some way that we don't understand that gravity works at a deeper quantum level. So maybe gravitons can cause some like destructive interference to cancel out local gravity somehow. I mean, I'm just totally speculating. Can it suck gravitons? Like maybe it's actually a graviton vacuum cleaner. Not to my understanding, like currently there's no way to have anti-gravity. We had a whole episode about anti-gravity and, you know, essentially you'd have to change the local shape of space. You have the Empire State Building and you wanted to not have any gravity. Instead of space being curved by the mass of that object, you have to somehow uncurve space. So that space is not curved by that object's mass. So there's no force of gravity on it. So gravitons would have to come in and like somehow distort the shape of space in a way that's opposite that mass usually does. And so maybe you need like negative mass particles, exotic particles you know, a negative mass to counteract the mass of these objects. Like here again, we're just totally speculating. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've talked before about how mass is kind of like a label, like a, the spin of an electron or something. Could you shoot something and maybe like reverses the polarity of your mass or flips your mass to anti-mass? Negative mass is not something we've ever seen. It's a hypothetical concept that was invented, for example, to like hold wormholes open. It's not something we really understand if it even can exist. But, you know, if we're talking about alien ideas of physics and we see that it works somehow, then we got to throw our ideas out the window and be open to crazy new ideas. And that's going to be helpful because there's going to be a bunch of theorists be like, all right, well, we thought that was impossible. So we didn't explore that. Now let's try it. Let's sit down and like try to work out a theory where what you just described is possible and see if we can make it come together. That's why, you know, seeing these things work in practice is a very important clue because it tells you like, look, there is an answer. There is a way to make this work because we see it happening in the universe. Right, right. Well, I, I think all of this just kind of gives us some clues as to how these guns might work, right? And I think the general idea is that you would sort of break down what you know of the theory of gravity and see how this gun might be doing what it's doing. 
like the, we just leave some possibilities, right? Like maybe it's shooting anti, yeah, like maybe it's shooting anti-mass particles or somehow flipping the mass of the <laughs> particles or maybe it's somehow like changing the shape of space around this object. And so that would be pretty interesting. But, you know, I'm not optimistic that it would be very easy that even having this kind of gun in front of us would make like a rapid explosion. It's not like you get this gun and then a year later we are masters of space and time. You know, I think it could shift the direction of theoretical physics. But if we didn't have like the gun's inventor there to explain it to us, I think it could take us decades or hundreds of years to gain all of its insights. It's the kind of thing which would probably like inform physics for a thousand years. Physicists in 500 years would think of new questions about this, new ideas that might be inspired by this gun that we don't even think of today. Right. But it would blow people's mind, right? Like it would show physicists that it's possible and then there's something about gravity we don't understand. And this might help us like figure that out. Absolutely. And, you know, just to sort of like give people a scale of the problem. Like it's not easy to reverse engineer like even human technology. It's not easy to to do this, like figure out how somebody has solved the problem, what techniques they have used, what laws of physics it relies on is not a trivial task. And so engineering like future human tech, also very difficult. Engineering alien tech, like, wow, that is a struggle. And I don't mean to sound pessimistic about it. Like I would be very excited to be part of that team. That would be a dream come true. But I don't want people to imagine that we would like suddenly understand the universe much more deeply. Right. But it would accelerate it, right? Oh, for sure. Just having this, this gun around, you can do things, maybe you could do experiments with it, right? Mm -hmm. Very potentially dangerous experiments. But yes, you certainly could do experiments. You might go through a few engineers, though. Mm. Right, right. Which we know are actually physicists. <laughs> and so let's throw, let's throw those in first. They're physicists with the opposite mass. Yeah, that's right. They're reverse engineers. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a correct question. Thank you for your question. And uh, when we get your check for $500 billion, we'll, we'll get right on it. That's right. And also don't forget to send us the alien guns. All right. We have one more question. This one from Adriel Josephine, who has a question about the growing sun. So we'll answer her question. But first, let's take a quick break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusion supply. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities. But it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. 
Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time off to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life to immerse myself in natural beauty and have a unique experience. But you don't have to leave the United States to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. People from Puerto Rico are called Boricuas, but it's not just a name. It's a spirit, a flavor, a rhythm that you can only find in one place on Earth. Puerto Rico. It's embodied by these proud, passionate people, and you'll feel it in every part of the island. When you bask in the warmth of the beaches, when you taste the love in the food, when you embrace the call of adventure, you'll find the Boricua spirit in yourself as well. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. You can forget where you came from and embrace where you are in Puerto Rico because your visit ends, but the stories last forever. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. We are answering listener questions. We've answered questions about the sun's light, the alien technology, and now we have one from eight-year-old Josephine. Here's her question. Hi, my name is Josephine. I'm eight years old and living in Columbus, Ohio. My dad and I enjoy looking into space to see other galaxies, other planets, and other stars. My dad once told me that the sun will expand to get so big that it will eat the Earth. My question is that could we make a shield that would protect the earth from this happening thank you i look forward to hearing my answer awesome thank you josephine what a great question and and what a well-posed question too i know that you have to wonder about you know making eight-year-olds have existential angst (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it sounds like josephine has a pretty cool dad first of all takes her out and to watch the stars and galaxies and she's thought about these things. She was told something about the universe and she had a question about it. Yeah. And she's a bit of an engineer. She's like, okay, this is a problem. We're all going to get fried. What can we do about it? Let's solve the problem. And she lives in Columbus, Ohio, which it does get sunlight, I think, half of the year <laughs> or at least half of the time each day. <laughs> all right. So her question is, we know that the sun is going to grow at some point, right? We know that, the, that our sun is a special kind of sun. And we know that from looking at other stars, we know kind of what's going to happen to our sun. It's going to start to heat up and get bigger and it's it's going to grow and eventually it's going to grow so big it's going to overtake where we are in the solar system. Exactly, because the sun is a huge fusion furnace. It's burning hydrogen to make helium and that helium accumulates in the core. And so then for hydrogen to burn, it has to burn sort of in the more outer layers, which makes the sun get bigger and puffier and hotter. And it's not just that the sun eventually will be big enough so that the earth is inside the outer layers of the sun. It's also getting brighter year after year after year. 
So every billion years, for example, the sun gets about 10% hotter, which means that global temperatures are going to rise because of the sun's increase in its output. Wait, did you say 10% each year? Every billion years. 10% oh, every, every billion years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, a big, that's a big difference. I was looking forward to uh, dying of heat next year, <laughs> living in Southern California. No, every billion years. It's very gentle and it's very gradual. But, you know, if like Josephine, you are planning for the very far future survival of the human race, it's something you do need to take into account as you build your planetary defense system. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so the sun is going to grow enough to where it's going to be so big, we're actually going to be, or where we are now is actually going to be inside of it. And, and when is that going to happen? That's going to happen near the end of the sun's life. The sun lasts around 10 billion years and it's about 5 billion years into that life cycle. It's going to burn happily for a few more billion, but near the end of its life, in a few billion years, it's going to start to expand. It's going to blow these outer layers out. And as you said, the sun is going to, it's really going to get transformed. Like it's pretty big already. It's, you know, a million times the volume of the earth, but it's going to grow. So its outer layers really do envelop the earth. And it's not going to be like super dense hot plasma like exists at the center of the sun right now. But there will be a lot of solar material out here, a lot of plasma, and it'll get very, very hot. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's getting hotter 10% every billion years. And so even that 10% is probably going to be very lethal to our planet, right? I mean, our planet is so precarious and, and unstable in terms of our atmosphere and the, the balance of, of life. It, it seems like a 10% increase in sunlight would basically toast everything. Yeah, I was reading one projection that said in a couple of billion years, the global average temperature would rise to 100 Celsius which means basically no liquid water on the surface, right? It's all vapor. And so that's pretty hot. And that's a couple of billion years away. Again, not next week. This is not weather predictions here. This is the, the very far future of the Earth. But yeah, we need to prepare for that if we're going to somehow keep the Earth at its nice cozy level. Right, right. And so I guess Josephine's answer to this problem is that maybe we can build a shield to kind of like protect us from the growing sun. Yeah, and wow, I wish you luck, Josephine, because that is an enormous task. Yeah, so I, <laughs> what, what do you think she's, do you think she's thinking like a wall between us and the sun or do you think she's thinking like a shell for the entire earth? I'm not sure what she had in mind, but you know, in order to be practical, it would have to essentially reflect an enormous amount of energy. And so we talked earlier about the amount of energy deposited by the sun on the Earth's surface is currently about a thousand watts per square meter. We're talking about a lot more energy now. We're cranking that up by orders and orders of magnitude. So you'd have to somehow effectively reflect that. But if you're reflecting that, then you're getting momentum transfer, right? Like if you have like something which reflects bullets, when the bullets bounce off, they're giving you still a little bit of a push. So if you build like a really effective shield that reflects all of the sun's energy and the sun cranks up to much, much hotter than it is today, then it really might change the Earth's orbit. Oh, wow. We're referencing our first question from the episode. Whoa. Yeah. And that might actually be a good way to go. Like if you need to protect the earth from the sun, I think the best thing to do might be like, hey, let's move. Let's find a better orbit because you don't really want to live inside the sun. Right. So you're saying that, you know, this I think maybe she was thinking like, hey, let's put up a shield kind of like you would put a roof over your head so you don't get as hot in a, in a sunny day. But you're saying that probably won't work. Like just the roof is not going to protect us from the sun because eventually all that heat is going to 
you know, seep through the through the roof maybe? Is, is that why it needs to be reflective? Why does it need to be reflective? If it's not reflective, then yeah, it's going to absorb all that heat and eventually it's just going to get, you know, like immolated. Like nothing can absorb that much heat all the time. You know, perhaps you could absorb it somehow. You can imagine building like solar panels perhaps, which absorb that and convert it to electricity and you have an incredible source of power perhaps. Uh, that might be one way to build a shield which absorbs that energy. Could you use that energy to power like a giant air conditioning unit? <laughs> now, I'm only half joking <laughs> because, right, wouldn't that solve our problem? Yeah, I suppose you could. But even solar panels, right, they do take momentum. A solar panel only absorbs half of the momentum of reflective panel. Reflective panel, because it's changing the direction of the photon, gets twice as much momentum as a photovoltaic panel, which absorbs a photon. But you still are absorbing all of that momentum. And so if the sun really does crank up, even if you build like a solar panel to absorb all that energy, and so the Jorge can stay nice and cool inside the largest AC unit ever, it's still going to start to impact the Earth's orbit. And so my advice still is, let's move the Earth. Interesting. But couldn't you use some of that energy to like you know, put put some thrusters on the other side, maybe, and, you know, counteract the, the push from the sun. You certainly could. But like, why stay in the Earth's original orbit? It's no longer a very nice place. Like, let's pick up shop and move out a little bit further. You know, let's bump Mars out of orbit and take its spot because suddenly Mars seems to have a much nicer place to live. <laughs> oh, I see. You're saying forget the shield. That doesn't sound practical or maybe that doesn't sound like a good long term solution. Mm -hmm. But you need to build an enormous, for example, solar array to capture enough energy to move the Earth anyway. So, you know, first step is build a huge solar array sort of as a shield also to capture that energy and then use that energy not to keep the Earth in its orbit, but to shift it to a better orbit. Interesting. I guess the question is, though, you know, the sun would be pushing us outwards, but that wouldn't necessarily put us in a stable orbit, would it? Like I, th I thought I thought to get into like a wider orbit, you need to pick up speed. You're right. There's a close connection between how far away you are from the sun and the velocity, but it works the opposite way. Things that are further out actually travel more slowly than things that are close up. You know, for example, a comet, when it falls in towards the center of the solar system, is going fastest when it whips around the sun when it's really close. But you're right that we would need to adjust the Earth's velocity. We can't just like give the Earth a push and then hope that it ends up in a stable configuration. Most likely that leads to Earth like drifting out of the solar system and uh, becoming a rogue planet, which would be bad. So it would take some really careful sort of solar system engineering to get Earth in the right place in another orbit at the right velocity. Mm, I see. So you, uh, you're saying a shield is not a good long term solution, but maybe a shield is a good idea in terms of like absorbing sunlight energy so that we can move the Earth or propel it to a better orbit that would be safer around the bigger sun. Yeah. And I read an analysis that suggested that the amount of energy required to move the Earth, like not a small project, is like 500,000 times all of the energy that humanity has ever produced. So it's a pretty big project and it would require like a solar array that's like 10 to the 15 square meters. That's 
a quadrillion square meters to produce enough energy to power like a thruster you could put like on the South Pole or something to shift the Earth out to a wider orbit. Interesting. I think I saw that movie on Netflix. <laughs> How did it end? <laughs> I'm totally serious. They, there's this uh, movie uh, on Netflix where they like build giant thrusters at Earth and they, they try to move Earth because something's, something's happening to the solar system. <laughs> and how did it end? I'm on pins and needles here. Did <laughs> well, we all survive? it's a disaster movie, so it did not, <laughs> did not, uh, things did not go as expected. No. Oh, well, but probably, you know, the, it was all about the physics they learned along the way, right? Yeah, well, uh, yes, and, <laughs> and the friends they lost as well. Exactly, and the investments they made in solar power technology. So yeah, so you're saying that, you know, the shield is a good idea, but let's maybe put the earth in a safer spot. And I think that that's an enormous project well beyond anything humanity has ever conceived or accomplished. But there's no physics that says that it can't be done. And technically, we know how to do it. So it would just be like a massive engineering project. Mm, I see. And, and who knows, like it might be a matter of our survival, you know, like if we don't do it, then we're, we're toast, literally toast. And so we maybe have to do it in the future, billions of years from now. And the good news is we have billions of years because while this is inevitable, it's very slow moving. So we can put it off for a little while, but you know, it's important that the next generation start planning. Yeah. And, and we should call it the Josephine plant in honor of Josephine who asked this question, which planted the seed for our future survival. Thank you, Josephine, for saving all of our lives. All right. Well, those are three awesome questions. And it, it's always fascinating, I think, to hear what people are thinking about and, and wondering about. You know, we sort of talk about these ideas on the podcast and people kind of take them to the next level. Yeah. And sometimes the questions are exactly the kind of things that I've been thinking about. And I'm excited to write back to people. And sometimes there are questions I've never heard before that make me think about things in a new way or make me go off and have to research something. Either way, it's super fun. I love it. Please don't be shy. Write to us with your questions to questions at danielandjorge.com. Yeah, it pro this one probably caught you as you were tinkering with your anti-gravity gun in your garage, right? <laughs> I was in the middle of a Zoom call with the aliens when this one came in. I was asking them questions about their gun, yeah. Right, right. Except the delays in the alien Zoom call are extreme. <laughs> you have to say a word every, uh, what, 10 years? Exactly. It's high throughput, but very high latency. All right, well, if you have questions, please send them to us. We love to talk about them and answer them. In the meantime, uh, look out into the universe and wonder how it all works. And encourage the next generation to ask their questions about the universe. Because remember that science is not an institution. It's just a bunch of people who decided to devote their lives to answering one specific question about how the universe works. So if you want more scientists and more technology and fancier iPhones, we need to train the next generation of curious minds. That's right. The next generation of anti-engineers. <laughs> And also engineers. <laughs> just don't put them in the same room together or give them a podcast because then that just annoys everybody. Sometimes they figure out how to work together. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening. And remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.